Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Watchdogs Bark. My name is Drew. I am your host, and I consider myself a watchdog. This is episode 18, and yes, I promised to get to the Biden family business, but I've discovered some new things I'm doing some research on. Basically, it looks like over a hundred different reports were made by the State Department and uh, security teams about multiple financial transactions going to the Biden family and how they looked wrong and uh, didn't seem appropriate. So I'm going to look into that and give you more detail on that the next time, or maybe the next time. We'll see. Depends on what kind of uh, information comes up. Right now, I want to talk about January 6th. All right. We know that violence did occur. Absolutely. Destruction did occur. There were bad actors. But Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, gave Tucker Carlson and his team 44,000 hours of the security footage that Nancy Pelosi had been hiding while she was Speaker. And now we know why. Now, Tucker Carlson's team did not have to look through 44,000 hours. There's Probably about a fourth, maybe even a fifth of that was relevant to the four hours during that riot. Uh, some were like in empty rooms, empty hallways, you know, all that would be included in that. But in the video that Tucker Carlson did get, he released some on his uh, TV show. And watching the videos, I realized that the next day, Chuck Schumer the Senate Majority Leader, had to come forward and say this. Last night, millions of Americans tuned in to one of the most shameful hours we have ever seen on cable television. With contempt for the facts, disregard of the risks, and knowing full well he was lying, lying to his audience, Fox News host Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment last night arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not a violent insurrection. Um, Chuck, he argued no such thing. He actually just showed videos of people that were being charged with violence, showing them not committing any violence, especially Jacob Chansley. Everybody knows him as the QAnon shaman. The guy with the horns and the painted face and the, the fur vest and uh, all, you know, he looks like the face of an insurrection. That's why the left chose him to be the face, even though video actually proves he was extremely respectful and actually palled around with the Capitol Hill police officers who let him into different chambers and different rooms. So he could get a basically guided tour of the Capitol building. Also, by watching the videos, we now know Officer Sicknick was not killed on January 6th by rioters. There was a report of him being bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher by the people that were protesting on January 6th in the Capitol. And there is video showing Officer Sicknick in the rotunda guiding people through uh, the ropes so that they walk through different places. And that's another thing. When you look around, you see everybody in the Capitol in many of the videos. Now, there are some videos that were that showed violence and riots and different things like that. And that 
Like I said, there were bad actors, and every single one of those bad actors should be prosecuted for the fullest extent of the law, period. But the overwhelming majority of people were not even going outside the velvet ropes. They were taking pictures and selfies and walking around with their heads on swivels in awe of what they were seeing. They were not there to overturn the government. They were there to protest that they honestly believed that the election was not done fairly. And you know, the Capitol building has had many protests. It really has. It's had Native American protests to, uh, in, the, in the Capitol. It's had um, LGBT activists in the Capitol. Uh, in large crowds in these different groups that have been in the Capitol. And yet this one is the only one called an armed insurrection. And I can tell you there is not one person armed. The people that are trying to say that they were armed are calling their flags and the flagpoles they were carrying the flags on weapons. And that made them armed. Well, I, I admit there's a couple of them did use those flagpoles as weapons of violence. But arms, when someone's armed, isn't that mostly guns? I, I, that's what I thought. When someone's armed, does that also include carrying a flagpole? Does that mean you're armed? Armed and dangerous? I, I don't think so. I think that that definitely um, cleared up a lot of things about the majority of the protesters. They were there for sightseeing and to peacefully protest their objection to the 2020 election. Also, we know that a man by the name of Ray Epps was there as an instigator. If you don't know who he is, he's uh, this tall, uh, bald guy that on January 5th actually said, something that made the crowd start chanting something. See if you can recognize what's really happening here. Okay, so Ray Epps is telling everyone in this crowd on January 5th, the night before, that they need to go into the Capitol, into the Capitol. And people are like, what? And then you hear someone start saying, Fed, Fed, Fed. They all knew that he was a Fed plan at that point. And then on January 6th, you can see Ray Epps walk up to one of the protesters that was up right against the gate uh, with the police on the other side. And he whispered something into the ear. And that's when they started pushing through the gate and pushing their way up to the Capitol. So it appears to me, after watching that video, Ray Epps was there as an instigator and was most likely a federal plant. Also, when you watch the very first of the video, the first people that make it into the Capitol, that bust through the windows, are actually dressed in all black, wearing masks and helmets and, uh, gosh, black backpacks. Where, where have I seen that before? Oh, yeah, Antifa. 
So basically, the first people to get into the Capitol, break the windows, and inspire everyone else were most likely paid agitators, such as Antifa, which is what I posted about on Facebook on the day after and lost 20 friends overnight. And people accuse me of being, I don't, all kinds of horrible things. I was just expressing my opinion based on what I saw. And guess what? I still feel the same way. As a matter of fact, you can see Jacob Chansley and his short bearded friend. I can't remember his name, but I've seen them at Antifa rallies dressed in the horns and the face paint. But it was different face paint for that one. But they just love to go to riots, apparently, and get involved in that. But I have never seen them commit violence ever. So there you go. Also, the January 6th committee played this video over and over and over again of Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri running out of the Capitol. And it just has a little circle highlighting him. And and they do it over and over and over. Pretty soon, people in the audience are laughing and calling him a coward. Well, as we watch the entire video now, we know that Senator Josh Hawley was actually at the rear of a very large crowd of Congress people being escorted out of the Capitol by the Capitol Hill police. So once again, the January 6th committee falsified and edited video to match their narrative and tried to embarrass Senator Hawley for being a coward. And he was nothing of the sort. He was actually at the back of a giant group that was escorted out of the Capitol. So basically, after watching these videos, no wonder Chuck Schumer doesn't want anybody to watch these, because it proves the January 6th committee lied about everything. Also, I heard an interview, and I I don't remember who the interviewer was, but the interviewee was Tariq Johnson. He was a former Capitol policeman, and he was fired for wearing a MAGA hat, and he explained The reason why he wore that MAGA hat that day is it helped him blend into the crowd and get a better control of what was going on. And he said that the Capitol Police had been warned numerous times of this possible uprising and riot that could happen on January 6th. They were warned as early as January 2nd. Gosh, where did I hear that before? Oh, yeah. Donald Trump said on January 2nd, He sent a warning to Nancy Pelosi and the sergeant at arms that there looks like credible evidence that they might there might be an uprising uh, that might turn violent at the Capitol on January 6th. And Nancy Pelosi and the sergeant at arms and everyone else chose to ignore that. Why would they do that? Why would they choose to ignore a warning? that would keep would have kept this from ever happening. The Capitol Police would have been enforced by the National Guard, and that riot would never have taken place. Now, why do you think they refused that guard? I can tell you why. They wanted these optics. They wanted this riot to happen, because then they can use it for everything. In the future, 
anything that happens, if, if uh, you know, Republicans accuse Democrats of the riots of 2020, which there were over 500, causing over a billion dollars in damage, burning down a lot of black-owned businesses in Minneapolis and other cities around the country. But no, you know what the Democrats' response is? Well, at least we didn't try to overturn the government. January 6th, the insurrection, the worst threat on our democracy since the Civil War. What? It's obvious to me that the Democrats don't do a lot of research into history. At least they probably either don't know these things or they choose to ignore them for their narrative. As a matter of fact, in 1954, a group of Puerto Rican nationalists started shooting from the spectators gallery during a Senate hearing. Five members of Congress were actually shot, one very seriously. Then in 1983, Susan Rosenberg and a group of anarchists called M-19, a communist group that actually trained in Cuba under Fidel Castro, and also later branched into what's called the Weather Underground. And uh, there was a guy named Bill Ayers that was part of the Weather Underground. And guess where Barack Obama launched his campaign from? Bill Ayers' living room. Oh, and also, Susan Rosenberg was actually sentenced to 58 years in prison for detonating a bomb in the U.S. Capitol's North Wing in 1983. I don't know, that, that kind of sounds like a pretty bad thing, like maybe an attack on our democracy. But on his last day in office in 2001, Bill Clinton gave her a presidential pardon. And now she's on the board of directors of Black Lives Matter and teaches women's studies at a college in New York City. So really, even if you're a convicted terrorist, as long as you have the correct ideology, the Democratic Party will forgive you completely. All right, a couple of other things I want to talk about today. You'll notice that a lot of people on the left accuse Republicans and conservatives of banning books in school libraries. Let me tell you the difference between banning books and putting age restrictions on them, basically, is all they're doing. You know, nobody accuses people of banning movies when they check IDs for kids under 18 for R-rated and NC-17 rated movies. And you don't hear anybody talk about banning alcohol when they put an age restriction of 21 and over before you can buy it. So the conservatives and Republicans are not banning books. They're restricting them and considering them age inappropriate for kindergartners and grade school kids. That makes a lot of sense to me. What about you? Remember, you can always write me, Drew at the watchdogsbark.com. All right, another thing I want to talk about is the difference between income tax and capital gains tax. 
Recently, Joe Biden said no firefighter should have to pay more taxes than a billionaire. Here's the problem with that statement. Joe Biden wants to tax capital gains tax of the wealthy. That is interest they are earning on their previously earned income. That is not the same as taxing their income. And here's something you need to know. The top 1% already pay 37% of the taxes. The top 10% pay 71% of the income tax. And the top 50% pay 97% of the taxes. The bottom 50% pay just 3% of the taxes collected each year. So how are the rich, in quotes, not paying their fair share? Basically, Joe Biden wants to tax success and take away all incentives of wealth, just like every other socialist slash communist out there. Also this week, Jill Biden presented an Outstanding Women Award at the White House on Friday. One of the women was a trans activist from Argentina. What did this trans woman do? She made it a requirement for 1% of the government jobs to be held by trans people. In Argentina, the trans community represents 0.1%. So now the trans community has 10 times representation in the Argentine government. Now you remember Rachel Levine was honored as Woman of the Year in USA Today, and Caitlyn Jenner was honored as Woman of the Year in Sports Illustrated her first year as a woman, proving that the left believes that men even make the best women. <laughs> the world has gone insane. And along those lines, this week, the First Amendment was on trial in the House of Representatives. A Representative Stacy Plaskett from the Virgin Islands, not even a voting member, but she's the ranking member of a committee, asked Mask Taibbi uh, questions and called him and Michael Schellenberger so-called journalists. Here was Matt Taibbi's response. Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Plaskett, members of the Select Committee, thank you for having me today. My name is Matt Taibbi. I've been a reporter for 30 years uh, and a staunch advocate of the First Amendment. Much of that time was spent at Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, Ranking Member Plaskett, um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I.F. Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times, New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> so you can see Matt Taibbi is a real journalist, and he's not even a right-wing journalist. He wrote for Rolling Stone. Oh, you know, that publication that's so conservative and has many Republican employees. <laughs> that little laugh you heard at the end of his statement was Jim Jordan laughing at the absurdity of Representative Plaskin calling him a so-called journalist. Then listen to what he went on to say about what they discovered in the Twitter files. We learned Twitter, Facebook, Google, and other companies developed a formal system for taking in moderation requests from every corner of government, from the FBI, the DHS, the HHS, DOD, the Global Engagement Center at State, even the CIA. For every government agency scanning Twitter, 
there were perhaps 20 quasi-private entities doing the same thing, including Stanford's Election Integrity Partnership, NewsGuard, the Global Disinformation Index, and many others, many taxpayer-funded. A focus of this fast-growing network, as Mike noted, is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, or sympathies are deemed misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. That last term is just a euphemism for true but inconvenient. Undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. Ordinary Americans are not just being reported to Twitter for deamplification or deplatforming, but the firms like PayPal, digital advertisers like Xander, and crowdfunding sites like GoFundMe. These companies can and do refuse service to law-abiding people and, and businesses whose only crime is falling afoul of a distant, faceless, unaccountable, algorithmic judge. As someone who grew up a traditional ACLU liberal, this mechanism for punishment and deprivation without due process is horrifying. Another troubling aspect is the role of the press, which should be the people's last line of defense in such cases. But instead of investigating these groups, journalists partnered with them. If Twitter declined to remove an account right away, government agencies and NGOs would call reporters for the New York Times, Washington Post, and other outlets, who in turn would call Twitter, demanding to know why action had not yet been taken. Effectively, news media became an arm of a state-sponsored thought policing system. Did you get all that? I mean, every single government agency pretty much was involved in this. Not only that, but the media was complicit. Everyone was working together to censor free speech. And it wasn't just on Twitter, as you heard. It's on Facebook, Instagram, uh, all the other social media sites. And those other sites that like PayPal and fundraisers like GoFundMe, as a matter of fact, I would suggest from now on, don't use GoFundMe for fundraisers. I would suggest another site called Give, Send, Go as the primary site for fundraising. They do not discriminate based on ideologies. Okay, and the last thing I want to talk about is something very serious, if you think about it. TDS, Trump Derangement Syndrome, has cost hundreds of thousands of lives. What do you think about that? I think it's actually quite accurate. Those that hate Trump elected Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't get elected by people voting for him. He got elected for people voting against Trump. Now, let's just consider, let's do a what if. What if Trump was reelected? Well, one thing, Ukraine would not have been invaded. Putin wouldn't have done that to Trump. Putin only invaded because Biden is weak. Also, President Xi would not be threatening to invade Taiwan. But here's the reason why hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost because of Trump hatred. Trump came out and talked about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Those have been proven to be very effective. Now, just say uh, Trump won, okay? And he was talking about, oh my gosh, we all must mask and we all must get the vaccine, and we all must uh, do social distancing. What do you think the people that hated him would have done? They would have said, oh, masks aren't necessary. Don't get the vaccine. That's ridiculous. If, remember, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden both said, if Trump recommends the vaccine, I won't get it. 
And that would have been pretty much true with every Trump hater. They wouldn't have got the vaccine. They wouldn't have wore masks. So think about that. Also, think about the thousands of immigrants that have died trying to get here. If Trump were president, that wall would have been finished and we would have real border security. The cartels would not have control of our border. And I do not believe we would have 100,000 people a year dying of fentanyl overdose. Think about that. Because Joe Biden undid every policy, border policy that Donald Trump created, the cartels have full control of the border. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the cartels with their drug, human trafficking, and sex trafficking empire make about $17 billion a year. That's more than the NFL. Put that in perspective. You remember Trump's last year, immigration went down dramatically, 90%. And one of the first things that Joe Biden did was stop building that wall and stop enforcing the border laws. And look what happened. I mean, just today, a thousand illegal immigrants rushed the border in El Paso, Texas. Also, if Trump were president, the Keystone XL pipeline would be finished and we would be a net exporter of energy. Our gas prices would be low. Inflation would be low. I tell you, elections have consequences. And so does hatred and intolerance. Okay, one thing kind of lighthearted I want to talk about is this tip shaming that's going on in our country. Almost everywhere you go, they flip that little iPad around and it's got a tip on it. Now, I'm sorry, if you're just uh, filling a cup of coffee and handing it to me, nope, you don't get a tip. A tip was designed to compensate for low hourly wages of waiters and waitresses. When I was a waiter um, years ago, uh, I could tell you that the hourly wage was $2.30. And I depended on tips to get me up. I think the national minimum wage at that time was $5 or $5.30, something like that. So to get me up to that from $2.30 required tips. You don't deserve a tip if you're getting paid full wages, unless you give me exemplary service. If you go above and beyond, I will reach into my own wallet and pull out money and hand it to you because I love good service. I'm an expert at customer service. Uh, I've been, one of my jobs is I've been in the customer service industry for many, many years. So I know good customer service and I appreciate it and will absolutely tip really good customer service. But if you're working at a uh, fast food place and you're just handing me a bag and you turn that little flip thing around, sometimes I'll actually look at them and push no tip. <laughs> just to say, I'm sorry, you're getting paid a full wage. You don't need the tip to justify a lower than minimum wage. All right. Now, one thing I want to do that I have not done before for my positive message at the end of this podcast, I'm going to let another person speak. This person is named Benjamin Hall. He is a reporter for Fox News, and he mostly does war and reporting all around the world. 
uh, tragedies and, and different disasters. But he was in Ukraine with his cameraman and think of one of the producers or something. He had an extraordinary experience. Horrible, but pretty much extraordinary. I'll let you uh, listen to this. Um, what we were doing that day was what we've done for many, many years. That is to go out, tell the story of what's happening in a war and tell our viewers why it's so important and why what's happening across the world does really matter. And we were filming in an abandoned village just outside the capital city of Kiev. And this was at a time when Russia uh, had almost surrounded the capital city and everyone thought they were going to take it on uh, in the next few days. We'd filmed for a few hours. We hadn't seen anybody at all. We'd seen churches totally demolished. We'd seen schools bombed to the ground. And as we were waking our, making our way back towards the capital city of Kiev, we slowed down at an abandoned checkpoint, and out of nowhere, the first bomb came whistling from overhead and landed just in front of our car. There was a mad dash to try and reverse our car and get out of there, and a few seconds later, the second bomb landed right next to our car as well. And that one knocked me out, blacked me out for a while, and I, I know that I got shrapnel in my eye and a big matchbox size in my throat at that point. Um, and I was in this car, blacked out, when I saw my daughter. My daughters came to me, and they brought me back, and they said, as clear as anything in front of my eyes, they said, Daddy, Daddy, you've got to get out of the car. And I came back, and I opened my eyes, and by instinct, I crawled towards the, out, the outside of the car, and I managed to get a couple steps out when the third bomb then hit the car itself. That was the one that threw me away and gave me all the other injuries I have. Uh, then and there, I lost my right leg, my left foot, uh, most of my left hand. Um, uh, it was gone at the time as well. And I lay there at that point. I was on fire for a while, and I managed to roll around and put the flames out as well. And I, I lay there alongside our cameraman, Pierre Zikchevsky, who had just gotten out of the car in front of me. Um, no cell phone reception, no way of calling for help or letting one, anyone know what had happened to us. And uh, Russia, we thought, was nearby. The Russian troops, we thought, were nearby. And Pierre had said to me as we sat there, he said, don't move the Russian drones, don't move the Russian drones. And after about 40 minutes, I finally, we saw a car that drove past and I screamed at it and I sh shouted at it and it didn't see us. And again, Pierre said, they're the Russians, they're the Russians. Finally, that car lost its way up ahead and finally came back and I had dragged myself slowly up a hill towards the road again. And when they came back and I tried to throw some things at it, 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 it saw me. So Ukrainian special forces jumped out and they saved my life. We now know that Pierre had passed away um, just moments before, we think, he had bled out. Our fixer, Sasha, a 23-year-old girl, Ukrainian, who was in the car, she also died uh, in the early strikes, as well as two Ukrainians who were driving, uh, driving us. And so there were five of us in that car that day. Uh, I'm the only one who survived. His story is absolutely incredible. You should read his book. It's called Saved. I think it comes out in a week or two. But pre-order it, and you know, I would definitely get that book. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to buy that book because that story just sounds absolutely incredible. Tragic that he was the only survivor of the people in that car. And he was very close to Pierre and Sasha, who he worked with in many occasions around the world. So that's crazy. But the thing that stuck out most in that story was when he was blacked out after the second missile hit. And he saw his daughters appear to him and say, Daddy, you've got to get out of the car. My friends, the Lord works in mysterious ways.
And I believe with all of my heart, he sent, I don't know, angels or, or the vision. I think the vision. I'll go with the vision. He sent a vision of his daughters to get him to move out of the car. They were probably the one that would affect him the most and make him move because it would seem so out of the ordinary that he's in Ukraine and his daughters just appeared there and told him to get out of the car. So I thought this was so incredibly inspiring. And Benjamin Hall, man, he is amazing. He's back doing all these interviews and he doesn't have one leg and one foot is gone and his left hand is is pretty mangled. And and I think he's maybe lost part of the sight in one of his eyes uh, where the shrapnel hit. But man, now he's back and he's telling his story. And I'm telling you, you got to listen to it. Okay, before I sign off, I want to ask you a question. I'm thinking about making this podcast longer, maybe an hour uh, per week, because there's so much information. I, I just have to edit and cut down and, and do just the smallest stuff. Would you be interested in hearing a whole hour of my podcast? Or would you be interested in two 30-minute podcasts a week? I could do that. Uh, but I need more, I need to get out more information, and I want those two options are the ones I'm considering. Please write me, Drew at thewatchdogsbark.com, or if we're friends and you follow me on Twitter, TWD Bark, or on Facebook, The Watchdogs Bark, or on Instagram, The Watchdogs Bark. Uh, you know, I'm all over the place. So if we are communicating those ways, just let me know if you want an hour long or two. 30 minute long per week because I'm getting ready to expand because I've got a lot more to say. All right, that's it for this episode. Until next time, create an amazing day. <laughs>